Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. It's really wonderful to hear you sing that song together. That is, um, there's nothing more moving than being with the people whose lives have been saved by that cross and to lift up Jesus together. It is so good to sing together. We're looking forward to getting into the Word of God together this morning. We got three passages to read as we open it up. The first one is in Ezekiel 36. I throw that out there first because that's going to be the hardest one for you to find. It goes, I think, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and then Ezekiel. So find Ezekiel 36, and then we'll be in John chapter 3. That's easy to find. And then in James chapter 1, and since we've been in James, you probably know where that one is. It's wonderful to be together in, in uh, this service, and um, my, my great love and esteem and respect, especially to all of the parents who get their little kids ready, and even though we can't have our normal crosswalk in children's ministry, you come here and, uh, and join us, and let me say what I've said before, which is that um, if the kids make noise, the last person in this whole membership to be upset about it, that is going to be me. I'm just so happy that we're here and that we have the chance to be together, so it is just so great to be here. We still have so many of our church family who are joining us online and who get to participate in that way, but we long for the day when the social distancing guidelines are set aside and we can really just be together, uh, you know, the, the way that we're used to and the way that we love and the way that has edified us so much. So we got three texts to read, and they're all about this subject, getting a new life or what the Bible calls being born again, regeneration. First, we'll start in Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to read from verse 25 down through verse 38. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 25. God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will deliver you from all uncleanness. And I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. And I will make the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field abundant, that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you'll loathe yourselves for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake. That's surprising. You see that in verse 32? It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord. Let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places to be rebuilt. 
and the land that was desolate shall be tilled. Instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. We can't read that this week without thinking of all the desolation over the last weeks in our nation. The buildings vandalized and burned down. God says in verse 35, and they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the garden of Eden. And the waste and desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And the nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. I have rebuilt the ruined places and replanted that which was desolate. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do this. Thus says the Lord God. This also I will let the house of Israel ask me to do for them to increase their people like a flock, like the flock for sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feasts. So shall the waste cities be filled with the flocks of people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. And from Ezekiel 36, going to John chapter 3, a very famous dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus that has this same concept. Jesus has Ezekiel 36 in his mind, we gather, as he's having this dialogue and he talks about being born again and getting a new heart. John chapter three, verses three through eight. John chapter three, starting in verse three. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And then finally, our text from the epistle of James, which we're doing a sequential exposition verse by verse through James, and we pick it up in verse 18. Actually, in verse 17, he says, every good gift... And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. And after saying in verse 17, every good gift comes from God, James really throws the, the, the ball right down the middle of the plate when in verse 18 he says, of all the good gifts that God gives, this is the greatest gift that God could give you. Verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth. He caused us to be born again. He gave us a new heart. He gave us a new life. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So James chapter one, verse 18, asks and answers four primary questions about regeneration, about getting a new life, about starting over, about being born again. And of the four questions, the first one is who? Who does it? Who does it? And the answer couldn't be more clear because in verse 18, it says, of his own will, God brought us forth. So the answer to the question, who does it, is God. Jesus answers the same question in John chapter 3 when he says, the spirit blows where it will. 
And that's a capital S. He's not talking about the human spirit makes the ultimate decision. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And the question is answered the same way in Ezekiel 36. I think it's seven times in a row from verse 15 down through the subsequent verses. Seven verses in a row start with this. The first person singular and then the verb. God saying, I will. I will do this. I will give you a new heart. I will make you born again. So the question, who does it, is very simple. It is God. Now, we'll go into this, Lord willing, I want to go into this subject a lot deeper next week. It's, a, it's an important enough subject, and there's enough really helpful theology involved in it that we'll unpack it in more detail next week. But this week, just simply to say, put it like this. What we need... Verse 15 says that sin leads to death. What we need is new life. What we have is an old, dead, sinful heart. What we need is a new heart. We need that old, dead, sinful heart to be replaced with a new heart. The point is simply this. Replacing that old, dead, sinful heart is not a thing that that old, dead, sinful heart can do. God has to do that. Couldn't we illustrate this very uh, modernly and medically with open heart surgery? I have, I've sat with some of you. I didn't sit with you in the operating room while you were having your heart surgery, but I sat with your spouse or I sat with some of you uh, adult children whose parents were, or whose mother or father was on the table and we sat together in the waiting room. We sat there with stale, bad coffee, and old, boring magazines while your loved one was on the table having that heart surgery. But this we know. Uh, there was a surgeon in that OR performing the surgery on your loved one. You and I have never and will never sit in a waiting room with that stale coffee while in the operating room there's one person that is a surgeon who is performing open heart surgery on his or her self. They, they themselves will stop their own heart, then uh, uh, crack open their own rib cage, then remove that old, you know, and th it's not going to happen. The work of God is what this is. Now, we're going get, to get into this next week, Lord willing. Our, when we're converted... We repent and we believe. We're all conscious of what we do in our conversion. And when I preach the gospel, I'm commanding boys and girls, men and women, to repent and believe the gospel. Repenting is something that you do. Believing is something that you do. But we repent and we believe because God is doing a work in us. It is not any more complicated, is it? Let's not make it more complicated than the completion of this sentence. We love him because... We love him because he first loved us. The love I have for my mom and dad is reflexive of and dependent upon the fact that my mom and dad... Uh, loved me into life, right? I was in California last week. I was not on vacation. I was not on vacation. My mom and dad were moving out of their house and into a condo, and they called and asked me to help them. You know what? They, 
My mom and dad didn't have to bribe me to help them. <laughs> they didn't have to twist my arm. They didn't have to threaten me. I, I wanted to go help them. Now, you all know that the help that I offer is rather mediocre. Like, I was literally the one going to the hardware store getting the hookups for the new washing machine. That is not going to go well if you know me in hardware stores. Not my thing, not my spiritual gift. But I went because I was eager to help them because the, the only reason I know how to help anyone is because my mom and dad gave me that ability. The only reason I know how to love anyone or use my back and my shoulders and my brain and my hands to love anybody is because my mom and dad showed me how. If that is true on an earthly level, that my love is a consequence and derived from their love for me, how much more so is it the case that we only love God because he first loved us the asking and answering of that first question is really straightforward. Who does it? It's God. Second question, also very simple. What is it? It is regeneration. When, when the Bible says in verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth, that's the same word that is used in 15 of sin being fully grown and then giving birth. It's to be born again. The, the biblical or the theological word is re, again, generation, being born. It's the miracle of new life. Ezekiel called it getting rid of a heart of stone and having a heart of flesh. Jesus called it being born again. James here says that it's God bringing us forth. Regeneration is the miracle of a new life. If you want a definition of regeneration, here it is. Regeneration is that work of God by which a new principle of life is implanted in a human being. Regeneration is that work of God by which a new principle of life is implanted in a human being. And subsequently, and subsequently, now the, the, the heart direction, the governing disposition of the soul, heart, spirit of that human being is toward God, toward the light, toward love, toward holiness, because God has done a work of salvation in that life. That's what regeneration is. Who does it? It's God. What is it? That's what it is. It's that principle of new life that's planted in the human being, so the governing disposition of the soul is now made holy and loving and alive to God. Third question is, how does it happen? And this is also very clearly answered in verse 18. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. That little word by in verse 18, he brought us forth by. That little word, two letters in the English, by is the instrumental means, the instrumental means by which it happens. Yesterday, I traveled from Burbank to Milwaukee by airplane. And it, it actually, to tell you the truth, it wasn't even yesterday. My plane took off on the 13th, but my stamp in the parking lot of General Mitchell was June 14th. It took a long time to get here. <laughs> the, the, uh, the means by which I traveled was airlines, actually multiple airlines with plenty of delays along the way. But the point here is God says, I'm going to bring you forth. And then he says the means by the word of truth. Listen, this is, uh, this is the reality. There's no substitute for the proclamation of the word of God. 
if you, if you want to fight me on this principle, I will never, ever stop <laughs> fighting. I will go to the mat for this. It is so important to see that the way this happens is by the word of God. It isn't by crafty psychological and sales techniques. It isn't by uh, mimicking the world and making the gospel seem uh, relatable to current events. It is by the proclamation of the word of truth. Uh, scriptural proclamation is primary and scriptural proclamation is best. Now, you sharing your personal testimony is a good thing. But what I'm saying is that's not the primary thing. The church doing good deeds in our city is necessary and we're commanded to do that. But that's not the primary thing. This is the primary means by which anyone is going to come to Jesus is by the proclamation of the word of truth and the movement of the spirit of God. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Everything else, uh, dialoguing with an unbeliever, uh, listening to an unbeliever, doing good works for them, being generous to them, sharing your personal testimony. Th this is all good, but what essentially what I'm saying is all of that is the, the sauce, the aroma that makes it appealing, opening the door wide and bringing them in, but the meat, the meat is the proclamation of the word of God. If I could show you one more place because it's so parallel from James, just turn one more book over to 1 Peter 1. 1 Peter 1, verses 23 through 25. 1 Peter 1, 23 to 25. Peter says, this is how it happens. It's exactly parallel. He uses the word born again. 123 of 1 Peter. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this is the good news that was preached to you. Peter could not be more specific here. James was very specific in 118, but look at how specific Peter is. He says in verse 23, you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of an imperishable. And then he says the word of God, but he fronts it with two adjectives about the word of God. The word of God, you see that in verse 23, is living and abiding. Why does he emphasize that it's living? Because if the heart is dead, the heart is dead, then it is the, only the seed, which is the living word of God, that can bring that dead heart to life. Why does he say that it's abiding? Because he's saying the living life that is in the word of God and the regenerative power that the spirit operates through the word of God, it brings that heart to life, not in a way that is temporary and not in a way that is halfway and not in a way that is maybe. But when God brings a heart to life, that life abides through this world and into the life to come. But he's not done yet. After he says that, which makes it very clear, he, he goes on. And he quotes from Isaiah 40, which is a quotation about the word of God. When he says, grass 
grows and then it dies. Flowers are beautiful, but then they die. He's specifically saying the word of God is not like that. Verse 25, the word of the Lord remains forever. And so he's piled all of these specifications about the primacy of the proclamation of the word of God, and he's still not done. He says in the end of verse 25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. It wasn't put on in a drama. It wasn't merely displayed in good deeds. It wasn't just a dialogue about uh, kind of what happened in my life spiritually. It was the proclamation of the gospel. That's the power of the word of God. Now listen, there are many, many, many good, uh, good and necessary consequences of gospel preaching. We call them, uh, we could call them Christian ethics or the Christian way of life. They all follow in the train of gospel preaching. In other words, Christ church, take a contemporary example, Christ church must have something very clear to say about racism, that it is evil, that it is a manifestation of the depravity of the human heart, and that is a sin that must be repented of. Church also have something very clear to say about sexuality, that marriage is one man and one woman, a hundred things that we could talk about. All of those are, are consequences of the proclamation of the Christian gospel, which comes first because it is the Christian gospel that constitutes the church as the body of the twice born, the body of the redeemed, the body of those who have been born again. And so we have to keep this emphasis on the word of God. Like James says in 118 that, the, uh, that we're brought forth by the word of truth. Amy and I were driving, actually yesterday, Amy and I were driving through the canyons in Southern California and we, we just took a drive to pray with our eyes open. And... Um, we prayed through those canyons for people we love who don't know Jesus yet. And we prayed, we prayed, God, by your spirit, regeneration comes by the word of truth. So would you bring the seed of your word into the hearts of those of our loved ones who aren't born again yet? We prayed, give us a chance to share the word with them. We said, God, if it's not us, let them run into a Christian somewhere who shares it with them. Maybe a McDonald's or it's more likely to run into a Christian, a Chick-fil-A, maybe a Chick-fil-A. But just let them run into a Christian who will share the word of truth with them that it'll sink in. This is how it happens. This is the only way that it happens. So that's how. And then we could ask a fourth question going through the end of the verse. And that is Why? Why does it happen? What's his purpose? You see, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. Then there's a purpose clause in order that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The purpose clause is so we could be the first fruits. Now, what is the first fruits? I say first fruits and you're like, whoa, what is that? Some of you kids, your idea of fruit is that little plastic envelope of fruit snacks and you tear it open and you pull those little elastic things out and chew on them, like that ain't fruit. Fruit, fruit actually, uh, it grows on um, plants and bushes and trees and green and brown things everywhere. That's what fruit is. But when he says the first fruits, James' audience understood exactly what that was. It would be, it would be like if I said, 
to this audience would be like I said, the 4th of July. Everybody knows what that is. It's like our national holiday. The festival of first fruits, that's what it was to Israel. It, um, I'm going to read from it. You can turn if you want with me or just listen to the reading from Deuteronomy 26. This is where the offering of the first fruits is mentioned. And I, I want to read it because I just think it's so beautiful the way God sets it up. In Deuteronomy 26, he says, this is the first fruits. When you come into the land, Deuteronomy 26, 1, that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and you take possession of it and live in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from your land that the Lord your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and you shall go to the place that the Lord your God will choose to make his name to dwell and you shall go to the priest who is in office at that time and say to him, I declare today to the Lord God that I have come into this land that the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down on the altar of the Lord your God. And it's so touching what comes next in verse five. When they bring the first fruits, he says, tell your story of where you came from. Verse five says, you'll make this response. My, basically my great granddaddy was a wandering Aramean and he went down into Egypt and he sojourned there and it didn't go well. He was few in number, and there became a nation great and mighty and populous, but the Egyptians treated us harshly and humiliated us and laid on us hard labor. But then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil, and the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great deeds of terror and with signs and wonders." And he brought us into this place and he gave us a land that's flowing with milk and honey. And behold, now I'm bringing the first fruits of this ground which the Lord God has given me. And you set it before the Lord your God and you worship before the Lord your God and you rejoice in all the good that God has done for you. I just think that's worth reading in its entirety because basically the New Testament, when it talks about salvation, refers back to that with a hundred or a thousand intertextual connections by which like we were in, like Israel was enslaved to Egypt we were enslaved in our sin and we couldn't break those chains so God caused us to be born again and now that he's brought his promises to us we bring our first fruits to him what are the first fruits when the harvest is coming when it comes in, the first fruits is the best and the first, and we bring it and present it to God. The church is the first fruits of God's harvest. When we bring the first fruits, uh, what, what, what we're doing is we're saying there's going to be a whole harvest. And this is representative of the kind of fruit that God is going to grow. In other words, Racine Bible Church is the first basket of the kind of city God is going to build. Racine Bible Church is the first basket to show the kind of garden that God is going to grow we are born again if we are regenerate 
by the gospel word of truth, then now we live as first fruits. So when people see us, they see that's the kind of garden that God is going to grow. Therefore, let me say again, all of those, uh, all of those consequences to gospel preaching and teaching, let this church be a demonstration of the kind of love, the kind of peace that God grows in his garden. In other words, and I, I say this not so much to rebuke you as I say it that I know that you agree with me. If the church is regenerate, and she is, then let there be no iniquity named and practiced in the church. Let there be no adultery. Let there be no sexual sin. Let there be no racism. Let there be no greed. Let there be no lying and unrighteousness because we are the display in a basket on the altar so that this city and our surrounding communities can see what kind of garden God intends to grow when he comes back and puts his sickle in the ground and Jesus is Lord of all. That's who we are. That's who we're called to be. We're saved by grace through faith alone. Not of our own works. We are his workmanship that we would show forth the kind of garden that he grows. That's who the church is. Oh, church, don't you see that that is our calling? And the best news of the gospel is that when God gives us that as a calling in the gospel, God provides everything we need to fulfill that calling. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us his Holy Word. He gives us elders and deacons in the church to shepherd us and set us upright to do the works of ministry. He provides everything his church needs to be the demonstration of the kind of garden God grows. Back in Ezekiel 36, he said, the city's desolate. And he said, I'm going to turn that desolate city into the Garden of Eden. We're seeing Bible. This is a city and a country that is becoming more and more desolate by the day. And we are the first fruits to show what kind of city God's going to grow. Let's pray. Lord God, as we bow before you, we receive this calling that you have called us to be the first fruits of your harvest. And so we ask that you would grant us holiness. We ask that you would grant us charity. We ask that you would grant us purity. We ask that the city around us would see in the regenerate church membership the kind of peace the kind of love that God grows by his very presence. As you've given this church this calling, now continue to equip us and provide us with all that we need to fulfill this calling. In Jesus' name, amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.